Before we get started with today's episode, I just want to shout out four of our new patrons. Thank you so much, Alyssa, Everett, Rowan, and Katie for supporting us on Patreon. We love you very much and really appreciate it. Very, very true. We really love getting new patrons. It feels super great. Uh, We also have a bunch of new reviewers to thank, which we also really love. Um, So... Sorky, T-S-A-O-R-K-E-Y. I don't know how to say that, but yes, however you say that, we appreciate (laughs) your review. Also, GhostWillow914, really glad that we now have a a review from both GhostWillow and VampireWillow. If anyone wants to, like, make a new account and leave us a review as, like, regular willow that would be super fun just cover all of our willow bases we could have a witch willow potentially a fuzzy sweater willow you know oh my god bucket (laughs) bucket hat willow um if anyone has been waiting to leave us a review because you can't think of a good review name now we have helped you uh let's just cover all of our willow bases (laughs) i'm really sensing a theme that people who connect with willow seem to also connect with our podcast and I'm really not surprised by that. <laughs> Willow, also a queer IRL witch. That's so, true. Yeah, it just, it makes perfect sense. Um, okay, so Zoe Array, Meg Han Solo, Keegan21, Fig Carter, and I have an original nickname. Thank you all so much for your reviews. They often literally make me cry, so <laughs> that's great. And it makes us very happy. And lastly, before we get into this episode, we want to remind you that we're doing a Patreon special for the month of October or until we hit the number because they're capped. So for the month of October, the first seven people who sign up or upgrade, if you're a current patron, to the Buckbeak level, $25 a month level, and anyone who signs up or upgrades to the Headwig level, which is $10 and up a month, gets a custom drawing by our comic artist, Theo Julian Forrester, of your beautiful face with a Gaily Prophet-themed backdrop. It's super rad. They're obviously different for each level. The Buckbeak level is a full color portrait. The Hedwig level is more of a line drawing. Both are incredibly beautiful. Um, Examples I'm sure are up on our social media and are up in a public post on our Patreon if you want to look at those there. So yeah, uh, again, those numbers are capped. So sign up, sign up now. And with that, the Gaily Prophet is a spoiler full podcast, meaning we're going to talk about what happens in the books, like all of them. So read the books if you haven't already, because who are you if you haven't read the books yet? Like, you're just not a person, you're a ghost that exists in the universe of non-magic. And so that's my, that's my hope and wish for everybody in this land to have experienced what all of us have experienced thus far. Literally, if you're a human being in 2019 that hasn't read these books, you should probably just stop what you're doing right now. I'm so angry right now for you that you haven't done this. 
is very upsetting. But um, I believe in you. Anyways, point is, if you don't like spoilers, don't listen to our podcast, because um, that's what we're going to do it. Like, guess what? <laughs> Dies. Did you guys know? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's what you get for not reading the books. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about Harry Potter. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer IRL witches reread Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke Extraordinaire, Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about probably the best book in the series. <laughs> Question mark, up to debate, but definitely top three in my on my personal list. Um, Prisoner of Azkaban. It's here. It is here. All right. So, in chapter one of the Prisoner of Azkaban, um, Owl Post, in which Harry receives his first birthday cards, some cool gifts, several of Chekhov's guns, and we, the reader, receive lots of unnecessary exposition. Yeah. Before we get there, though, we have someone very special in our virtual studio with us today. Hello, my name is Maya Kobabe. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be on this podcast. Oh, thank you. Um, Yes, I write and draw comics. Um, You can find some of them online at Red Gold Sparks. Yes, that's a Harry Potter reference. Um, Earlier this year, my first full-length comic book came out. It's called Gender Queer, a memoir. Uh, It's about being non-binary, aromantic, asexual... A very queer, nerdy person who came very late to reading, but loves books and loves Harry Potter. And uh, yeah, a lot of my work ends up talking about uh, literature and queerness. So this is a good podcast for me. Yeah, you also just put out um, that like sort of PDF comic about like the issues with J.K. Rowling Mm -hmm. and loving Harry Potter, which I think that's like how we connected was me being like, that's what we do. Like we should talk. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that was over the summer, I produced a 16 page zine called Harry Potter and the Problematic Author. And it wrestles with being a long time, probably lifelong Harry Potter fan, but being really frustrated with um and disappointed with some of the things that uh, J.K. Rowling has been saying and doing with the direction of the new canon and sort of how to reconcile those two things. Because I am just not one of those people who can just be like, oh, J.K. Rowling is bad. Throw Harry Potter in the garbage. I'm like, no, this book series brings me so much joy and it has built friendships and it still inspires me and it challenges me. So I'm not going to get rid of it. But I also cannot be an uncritical fan. Um, so the comic is kind of about, it's a meditation on loving flawed media and how it's actually really important to be critical of the things that you love. Yeah, it is. It's really lovely. Everybody, you should definitely check it out and we will make sure to have 
like links to anything that you want people to have links yeah. to in our show notes and like when we post about the episode online so Perfect. and obviously that's like literally what we do here is be like thank mm-hmm. you very much jk rowling this belongs to us now and you can't yes. back. Um, <laughs> i in general feel that way about almost any almost every piece of art that i love where i'm like I love this, and I also acknowledge the ways that it is flawed and messed up, and I'm also critical of it, but that doesn't necessarily negate my love and obsession of it. Because yes. it's like, if I was looking for a phantom, unproblematic um, piece of artwork, I wouldn't, I would be not consuming any kind of art exactly. <laughs> at all. Exactly. And that's, that's a boring half-life, so I'm not going to do that. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, I feel like, yeah, every piece of media is flawed, as is every human being, and if we can't learn to accept... Uh, like love love things that are not perfect also how can you love any person or or yourself um and i think actually practicing that in a fandom space can be really useful then to later apply it to other things in life like you can talk about institutions or whatever that you're like this has value but also issues so let us try to increase the value and reduce the issues by you know openly talking about them yeah for sure um, so anytime we have someone on the show, we ask what your Hogwarts house is and like how you know if it was like Pottermore self self defined or a combo, and also what your Patronus is and how your Patronus intersects with your like most deeply held identities. Oh my goodness! No pressure or anything. Okay. Um. Oh gosh. Um. When pressed, I will usually say I'm a Ravenclaw. But I think that the house system is one of the problematic issues of the Harry Potter series. And in fact, we should not be dividing people, especially not at age 11, because I, um, I feel like at various times in my life, I have more, very strongly identified with different houses. So as a kiddo, of course, I identified with Gryffindor because you identify with the heroes. But I was a very unacademic, terrible student as a child. And I then grew up to be a super academic, very like straight A's all the way. We only do homework here kind of young adult who would totally be a Ravenclaw. And now into my 30s, I'm like Hufflepuff is where it's at. Let us just eat baked goods and relax. So like I don't I feel like I can access most of these. I think Slytherin the least, although I'm I try to tap into that kind of like ambition and also like um, carrying my friends forward sort of aspects of Slytherin. Um, but I think that the goal of a well-rounded adult is to be able to access the strengths of all the houses and that anyone who is only one house is probably a very brittle person who is not, who will crack under pressure in almost any (laughs) difficult situation. So, um, I kind of feel like we need to abolish the house system. Totally. Yeah. I mean, down with sorting is like one of the our you know whatever oh, rallying mantras <laughs> stances yeah. political stances of the podcast yeah yeah um which is, i think makes it funny that we identify so deeply with being gryffindors but also i think you know we really like shouting about things and that's why we make a podcast and about shouting about things that we love and what's yes. more gryffindory than that <laughs> i mean yeah i feel like gryffindors can be typecast as a sort of like smash the system sort of folks which yeah and there's strength in that like there as there is strength in every house um but yeah Yeah. the the ultimate goal i went to waldorf schools a lot i don't know if y'all know what waldorf schools are for your listeners will be okay great we sure do um so so i went to waldorf schools as you maybe know the waldorf 
education is interested in the idea of the four temperaments, which are comes from Greek um, medical sort of philosophy. Um, and it very easily maps onto the four Hogwarts houses, you know, phlegmatic, choleric, sanguine, melancholic. You can very easily to sort of like layer one on the other. And the whole, one of the whole goals of Waldorf education is to identify um, in very young children, kindergartners or first graders, which temperament they seem to express the most strongly and help them balance themselves out, mm. literally to become even tempered. And again, it's the idea that as an adult, you want to be able to use sort of all the tools at your disposal. You could even call it the four suits of the tarot. Like you don't want to only ever read with swords, then like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that's going to really limit the uh, sort of like way you access life and interrogate it. Yeah. Yeah. Here, mm-hmm. here. Um, yeah. So what's your Patronus? Um, I think my Patronus would be a barn owl. Okay. Yeah. And why? Um, I love barn owls very much. I love owls in general, both because of Harry Potter and also because of The Labyrinth, which was my first favorite film. And uh, obviously David Bowie, a.k.a. Jareth the Goblin King, turns into a barn owl. But also I um, grew up out way out in the country for most of my life where there were owl, many owls um, around. So there was a common thing that I would actually see, especially um, just walks late at night or driving home from work late at night. Um, and there were a couple of barn owls that like lived on my driveway and I would see them and I'd just be like, yeah, those are, those are my faves. That's like, as someone who's lived in the city my entire life, that is so magical to be like, (laughs) just seeing owls every day. Like, yeah, I'm just enamored whenever I see like, even just like robins, I'm like, look at that songbird. So like, I feel like if I saw an owl every day, I would just be like. I would, I would always like text one and be like, I saw an owl. And it's like, I get this text every day. I'm like, I don't care. No, I, I am with you. It doesn't stop being great. Uh, nature's pretty awesome, actually. And I, um, I could see an owl every day for the rest of my life and never get bored of it. Yeah. Is I there... get... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chelsea. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that I just get really excited. There's like, now I see a lot of hawks along the highway. And I, every time I see one, I'm like, a hawk. And my girlfriend's like, I'm trying to drive. And I'm like, look how beautiful it is sitting on a dead branch. And it's like. <laughs> anyway <laughs> um i actually have a question for the two of you mm-hmm. do you feel that your patronus animal and the animal you would choose as an animagus would be the same or would it would be different mine is i would definitely think is different but mm-hmm. not by much uh my patronus would be uh like a lioness and i feel like my animagus form in my heart would also do, would just be like a house cat ah. uh, like a beautiful <laughs> majestic chunky house cat so so similar similar vein of felines but like so a much more useful i think hanamaja's form is something innocuous but also majestic mine also would be different though from the conversations that we've had i think like the quote-unquote science behind this seems to in the books hold firm that they they are the same do we ever get solid proof of that? Everyone that who we know both their Patronus and their Animagus form, they're the same. Okay. Small sample size, but yeah, small sample size. Telling. I feel um, like they would, think... mine would definitely be different though. Sorry, go ahead, Jesse. Sorry, I uh, I don't think there is canonical evidence because I think besides, do we ever see McGonagall's? So if we see anyone's it's McGonagall's I actually was I was pondering this earlier and I couldn't quite remember 
I um, don't, yeah, I don't remember either. Because it definitely, I would say the book suggests that your Patronus, you don't choose. You just, when you see it, it is the expression of your soul. But in mm. Animagus, you can choose because, as we will learn later in book three, um, uh, um, Sirius and James chose larger animals so that they could control uh, Lupin if needed, whereas Pettigrew chose a small animal so that he could sneak around the Whomping Willow. So there's, if you, even if you can't control it 100%, there's some choicefulness there. Yes, it's. I think it's incongruous, and also I realize that the ones that I'm like relating, it's Pottermore information that oh. like, James's Patronus is the same as his Animagus, and so then we can't actually dubious accept source, it as... dubious exactly. source. Do we trust Pottermore? <laughs> <Yeah>. I don't. <laughs> we don't. I I feel like I pick and choose with Pottermore personally. My Patronus is a platypus, but I would definitely choose some, anything that could fly as my Animagic form. Good choices, good choices. That's the questions, and so are we ready to get into the newspaper? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> we start this newspaper off with today's headlines. Study shows that passive anti-muggle sentiment is typified in witches' refusal to adopt the use of pens as writing implements. <laughs> Researchers report that not a single witch interviewed could produce a well-constructed reason for their insistence on using quills a full century after the first ballpoint pen was patented, with most simply muttering the word muggles while looking at their feet. <laughs> oh my god. I, yes. Yep. <laughs> While reading this, I was like, Harry, you're in bed. You're on a non-flat surface. Get you're a opening pen. a bottle of ink in bed. Use a pencil. Get right it Yeah, my third thing is so literally angry. like, get a big pen. I know there are big pens in this house. Just get just get So one. many. There's a whole drawer of them. It's the law. Every ah. house has a whole drawer full of pens somewhere. Right. I or can like reach and mine also where I'm sitting. and also various mugs full of pens that are like varying years old and you're like which one is this going to work? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. I'm glad we're all in the same camp. I have it as also an editorial where we can yell about it more oh, if please, we want I to. Oh, please. I want to talk about this further later on. Great. This is okay. very <laughs> all right, we turn to the front page where we talk about all the things that don't belong in other sections of this newspaper. Um, my first front page is just noticing that just before Harry gets his gift, his very great gift from Hermione, he is using his last gift from her to do his homework, which is the eagle quill. That I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that either. That's so sweet. It's Hermione really is a very good gift giver. She is. It's And true. actually, so is Ron, I feel like. They're just good friends. Ron's gift in this chapter is actually, I think, I feel like pretty thoughtful. Oh, yeah, but there are also, I think, other times where he just gives Harry, like, a giant bag of dung bombs, which is sort of, like, okay. Fair. Not, it's probably something Harry wants, maybe, but not necessarily, like, thoughtful, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Anyway, gift-giving is my love language, so I'm probably mm. going to be, like, hypercritical of, like, <laughs> like, that's a good gift. I'm like, is it, though? How much thought did it actually require? How much <laughs> attention did they have to pay to notice that that was a good gift for Harry? So as someone who's just out about giving good gifts, I, I feel that. Yeah, I definitely, obviously, since this is a Harry birthday chapter, noticed the gifts. And it's it's interesting um, how in book two, Harry could not send letters because Hedwig was locked up. He could not receive letters because Dobby was stopping his mail. But in this one, 
Um, Hedwig is free. He has made a verbal promise to not send letters with her. Um, but he's kind of like, no one has written me all summer. And it's like, Harry, you can reach out first. Like, you can send the first letter. Like, if you want to get mail, you should send some. And um, Hedwig, <laughs> I mean, leaves on her own anyway to get mail for him. So, and it's, I feel like this is a theme that is repeated over the summer chapters is Harry being like, no one has contacted me. And it's like, I... I, it's a very I think it's a thing that happens when you're depressed frankly and that a lot of times Harry is depressed during the summer so there's a certain amount of understanding there but also I kind of want to shake him and be like write the first letter send the text reach out to your friends I think he's probably so afraid at this point though to you know he just got to a point where he's allowed to like not be in a like animal abuse like come and get arrested for keeping your owl in a tiny cage all summer situation that he's not going to risk that by writing letters when he promised not to even if there isn't like a chance that he'll get caught like I mean the kid is doing homework with a quill and a flashlight under the covers when everyone is asleep like he is on high alert with the precautions to not get in trouble here for he could have sent a letter to Hermione via the muggle post though that's true. He, he does have some options. I understand that he, though, is a traumatized child, so we can't expect him to think of everything. He doesn't act like one most of the time, so it's very easy to forget. To forget, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, so who wants... Who's... Jesse, or it's your turn, yeah? Yeah. Uh, so I just want to talk about the essay that Harry is working on, and I feel like the prompt that such and such historical thing was pointless and why is such a good <laughs> prompt for like kids to learn history that I'm like why aren't we all learning about things like this because I'm like that's such a, I mean it's actually kind of shocking how good of a question that is that's a really good point so especially coming from Bins who is literally the worst <laughs> <laughs> such a bad teacher yeah but it does actually invite like critical thinking although it doesn't leave a lot of room for someone to like disagree well it says discuss i mean that's fairly open-ended you could be like in fact i have a, i have a differing opinion that's true although whether you'd be able to find information in the textbooks to support that that's bigger that's a different question <laughs> a i mean question. probably not but hermione is like i'm gonna do a bunch of research in some like magical french library and then like write like eight extra feet about it and it's like girl slow your roll <laughs> she can't I know she can't. This is the equivalent of eighth grade for them, I believe. So, I mean, you're starting to write papers in eighth grade, but two extra rolls of parchment, it's pretty extra. (laughs) Uh, Okay, my next note is uh, Wendell and the Weird is kinky, obviously. We can't (laughs) leave the... She got caught how many times because she liked getting burned so much? So many. Such a specific kink. Um, I'm really glad that, you know, she lived at a time where she was able to make that happen for her. I feel like not until literally you texted me earlier that I realized what a kinky thing that that sounds like for her to be like, she liked it so much, she just kept doing it like 46 times in different disguises. And it's like, what? The disguises, right? Like, yes, this is, this is absolutely like... It's honestly, once you look at it and are like, oh, that's someone's kink, it's like shocking that that's in a book for children. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, speaking of shocking things in a book for children, 
Can we just talk about how this opening scene feels a little bit like Harry's like reading porn under the covers in the middle of the night, but he's like doing his homework. He's like his homework, about the ink which spot. is reading about Wendelin the Weirds <laughs> being burned at the stake king. <laughs> so I just I hope... love it whenever there are excerpts from things. I love it whenever we get an excerpt from a textbook, an excerpt from a newspaper article, from a letter. And there's so many excerpts in this chapter. I was very delighted. Yeah, um, you and Jesse are on the same page with that one. I'm I'm really into it. I like it because they often open up like a wider piece of the world that you haven't yet seen. And that was one of the themes that I like noticed in this chapter is like we're getting like we have two characters traveling internationally. So suddenly you're thinking about the world like other wizards in other countries, magic in other countries. And yeah, like history going back further in time than we kind of have thought. And um, just I don't know. I just really like it when these sort of little pockets open up. Yeah, I would love nothing more than if J.K. Rowling stopped talking about canon and just start and like wrote just like all of a history of magic. Like I'd be <laughs> very content with that. Just stop. Just don't make any more Fantastic Beast movie. <laughs> Only write that and Hogwarts a history and let the the money roll. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Um. So now we have a, a special. A special section of the front page that I'm calling Ask an Expert, in which I called Evan, my partner, who is a carpenter, to ask about the reality of loose floorboards. Oh. <laughs> a common trope in, you know, children who have to hide things, books and TV shows, um, but not something I've ever personally experienced because apparently it's not real. I'm sorry to burst everyone's bubbles. <laughs> so I have notes. I have some notes if you guys have any questions. I actually, as someone who, whenever I, I'm in a, like, lived in a place with hardware floors, I've looked for, like, loose floorboards, and I'm like, what if there's, like, money under there? Like, I'm very interested to hear. Yeah. Or, like, as someone's diary or something, yeah, so I'm I've, very curious to hear. I've this. never lived in a house with wooden floors. I'm just realizing that every floor I've ever lived on has been carpeted or linoleumed. Please, I'm tell so me more. I'm so sorry. That's so sad. <laughs> Um, okay, so apparently, even if a floorboard is loose, that doesn't mean that you can just, like, lift it out and put things underneath it because they're attached to the boards on either side of them. Almost always, there's a subfloor underneath the wood that you are actually on, and so it would have to be both your, like, floor and then the subfloor also would have to be loose, but they're usually not, like, parallel in that way. The moral was... They're living in the suburbs, and there's no way a house built any time between, like, the 20s and the 70s, which is probably the biggest timeline that their house could have been built in, would have a floorboard that, like, would have floors that this floorboard situation could be happening in. Also, everything about Lane from the Gilmore Girls, <laughs> similarly unrealistic. <laughs> Just a trope. Ugh, in a book full of dragons and wizards, we are poking at this loose end as unrealistic. You know, when you live with a builder for 10 years, (laughs) the things that you start thinking about really shift over time. (laughs) So that's what I've got. I'm I'm now very sad that we're going to find, like, secrets under a floorboard. Yeah, I asked him where he finds weird stuff in houses, and he said, like, it's usually something that was intentionally built, like a weird, like, behind, like a cupboard with, like, another thing behind it, or, like, 
you know, sometimes like just something like things will be in walls, but there wasn't like it was just like there was a furniture put in front of it or whatever, but um, not in the floor is not where the things go. So I've always wanted to live in a house that had like a secret room behind like a bookcase or something. Yeah. Maybe maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, once again, Ron could uh, really use some muggle studies considering his yelling into a telephone, which is sort of, it's a little inconceivable because you just hold it to your face and you can, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. It's so hard to read that section. It's very uncomfortable. (laughs) Ron, why? And then I feel bad because I feel like Hermione should have called and she would have lied so well about her whatever and then Harry, her and Harry could have had like a phone conversation maybe mm-hmm. yeah. yeah the only person who really doesn't need it Hermione takes muggle studies right <laughs> I do feel like her point about wanting to learn muggle studies from the witching perspective is actually something that I would do because <laughs> I'm like but how do they think about it it's going to be so weird and <laughs> it probably is yep alright Maya what do you have next um, I, uh, I don't know what section to put my things in. <laughs> um, I don't know if this is a front page item, but I also love whenever we got in the book, um, to see people's signatures. And I think it's really cute that you get to see Ron's signature and Hermione's signature when, they, when they send letters to Harry. So I love that they actually put like handwriting in there. And then you actually see a Hagrid and a McGonagall signature. So this is like a very signature rich chapter. I remember, though, even as a kid being like, why do Ron and Hermione both basically write Harry letters about the exact same subjects? <laughs> like, because uh, that's a good question. It's kind of funny how they both just like reference all of the same things. Um, I don't know. I guess it makes it seem like m- even more like they've been talking to each other and not to Harry. Um, I don't know. I just don't know how intentional that was. Um I feel like it probably was intentional because I feel like that's like a running theme throughout the books of like how isolated Harry is in the summers that Hermione and Ron have so much more of a relationship in the summers pre-Harry getting out of the Dursleys. Yeah. Although I also feel like in this instance, having them write about the same thing makes the sort of introduction of each of their characters more vivid Mm. because you get both of their personalities filtering the same information to Harry. And so you get sort of this very clear, like, here's what Ron is, here's what Hermione is through that device. That's a good point. And I feel like in a chapter that is basically just exposition about who these characters are again for the third time. Yeah, it's a a fairly slim chapter with not that much new information. I won't lie, I forgot that this was the first chapter and not the chapter where we meet Aunt Marge. I was like, oh man, there's gonna be so, I'm gonna have so much to talk about. And then I'm like, <laughs> wait, it's just Harry in his bedroom at night. <laughs> Aside from, as you mentioned though, at the top, the Chekhov's guns, like the dropping of Hogsmeade, like just like whispering that little thing in there, which we don't even know what that is yet, but that'll be a, a really big thing for their whole rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, so first we hear of it and like a couple other things like that. Yeah, I rem- actually very recently re-listened to your um, episode about the very first chapter of book two. And yeah, how you're like, oh, wow, this whole chapter is just kind of like, this is what happened in book one, as if we hadn't read it. 
Um, and so reading this, I was like, yeah, once again, a lot of summary about what we know. So I actually flipped forward to look at the opening chapters of the next couple of books to see if they get lex- less ex- exposition-y as they go on. Um, a bit, like four, book four opens with the Riddle House chapter. So that feels like a cold open, but it is then followed by a Harry in his bedroom at night exposition summary chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just like, oh no, this continues. Yep. It doesn't, it never stops. In case you're the kind of person who jumps into a series at the third book without reading the first two, which is inconceivable for me. As if we weren't, I was like rereading obsessively all of them in the upcoming to a new book release. I was like, oh yeah, I want to be right back in it for the midnight release. I mean, I don't know. I, I assume that's what everyone else was doing too. Yeah, that's what I was doing. But I also, I can't even watch television shows in like season two or three like i have to start at the beginning because i'm like what have i missed what is going on yeah unless the first season is not really great that i'm like i guess i can skip ahead but i need to, I need to look myself first yeah so. so just very briefly this hogwarts owl that brings uh hagrid's package and the the letter is the percy of owls <laughs> yeah it's like tawny exactly. and haughty and like uppity and then it leaves all like full of itself i was just like ah like at first i thought it was hermes and then i realized it was a hogwarts owl and i was like oh it just is reminding me of percy is why yes. i thought that okay that's it go ahead jesse um so all dick jokes aside what does this broomstick servicing kit even do oh my god <laughs> such a good question I mean, I guess if you want it to look nice and shine and polish, I get that. But it's like the rest of it, I'm like, but I believe what does that we do? hear that there is a pair of um, like scissors to trim uh, twigs that have bent. And I believe there is, yes, there is handle polish. And <laughs> I believe there's also a clip on compass, I want to say. Yeah. Um, right. I can't remember all of the items in the book. But yeah, it's, um, I remember because. Um, again, more spoilers. At some point, Harry's going to get the firebolt and he tr- brings down the servicing kit to try to do something to it. And he's like, no, this broom is perfect. Yeah. It, needs <laughs> nothing. it needs nothing. It needs no service. Yep. Um, this is, there's no, no spoiler warnings required for this. Oh yeah. You have the spoiler in your wonderful opening song. We do. And at the first the first uh, chapter yes. of every book we the get listeners the will get the extended, extended. <laughs> which is honestly what just a treat a thing of beauty and a joy forever jesse calm down <laughs> listeners jesse just got so excited about the idea that we were going to play the extended spoiler warning that she threw her microphone across the room it just fell because uh... <laughs> all of the cords are like coiled around me your um, skype is unmuted you're in surround sound oh no okay sorry now no, it's back. great uh it was actually very yeah. cinematic right? technical difficulties with all of the cords that i'm tangled in anyway <laughs> yes extended spoiler warning is great it's a really very beautiful thing let's see do you guys remember the uh website please rob me no from the early thousands um it was like literally the point the point was to call attention to 
how foolish we were all being on social media in the early days of social media Hmm. where like this, I don't know if the person did it or you could like submit it, but basically it was like postings of people who were like, I'm on vacation and basically being like, look, everyone knows that your house is empty right now. Like we can rob you. It might still be out there. You might be able to go look at it, but it was literally just like social media posts of people whose homes were empty. So you could go read them or go rob them. Um, (laughs) But it was supposed to be like a PSA. I don't know if they were posted after the vacation time was over. I don't know. But um, this newspaper article about the Weasleys is Mm. a massive please rob me entry. It's like they will be gone for the next six weeks and will (laughs) return upon their children's return to Hogwarts. They won't be home. They're in (laughs) Egypt. (laughs) It's like, this is not this is not a good you shouldn't do this. I feel like witches don't have a very good concept of anything about safety. Oh, definitely not. Um, right, and you can't even lock your house, which is something we have talked about. Of, yeah, like, you can just like flew into somebody's house yes. and mm-hmm. steal all their things and leave. But I mean, still. the only thing they have going for them is that it's so well known that the Weasleys are very poor. Um, <laughs> so true. presumably, like, apparently this is so well known that anyone reading the paper will know, like, there's nothing there to take. Like, it's just those old Wellingtons by the door that's not locked. Maybe that cauldron wants some gnomes. Like, there's... I bet Molly's clock is worth something. I, yeah, Molly. But also, what do you want to bet she packed it? That's true. <laughs> you know what? She totally... Did. Yep. Um, Which honestly probably helped when like the twins are trying to lock Percy oh, in a yeah. tomb. She was yeah. like, "Oh shit, Fred and George, what are you doing?" Yep. Yeah, I would say that anything of real value they probably have with them, which is just like yeah, their wands and then like their family and like the money they just won, and probably any like yeah useful magical items they would maybe travel with anyway. So. Yeah, they don't have any uh, goblin wrought silver goblets like, <laughs> in the ancient and most pure no. house of black to steal. So it's like, yeah, yeah, that's unless you guess, unless you want some chickens, I suppose. But like, <laughs> I mean, maybe this actually explains why so many wizarding families actually have a vault at Gringotts. Um, is because homes are not safe. It's the only um, thing you can lock in the yeah, whole world. Yeah, it's the only thing yeah. in the world you can lock <laughs> unless you like uh, also lock it up at Hogwarts under a series of very nonsensical and complex uh, teacher-based spells. But that could still be beaten by 11-year-olds. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, so that actually brings a little bit light to me more why like everyone has a vault box. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. All right, uh, Maya, do you have other front page, or should I just, like, slam through um, mine? I, I, I have one. This is a little bit tangential, but, like, okay, so in this chapter, um, Harry is at home in his very sort of, like, sad, depressed summer mode. Ron and Hermione are both on international vacations, and kind of what, and then or the Weasley family's just won this 700 gallon, uh, 700 gold galleons, and Ron is able to buy him a nice present, and it just made me think about... I just got to thinking, like, what, why, why is Harry rich, basically? Don't, and I was like, would it be more interesting in this series if the Weasley family was actually comfortably middle class and Mm -hmm. Harry was, like, poor as shit? So he comes to Hogwarts 
like famous and well known and all of this, but in like hand me down robes and like with like a used wand and like looking really shabby. And then the Weasleys actually take him in and he then, instead of being like slightly embarrassed by his wealth while watching them sort of have to scrape money together, it's kind of more like uh, the poor friend who's like, oh gosh, how will I ever repay you this generous hospitality? And I was just sort of, it just unspun this whole like fanfiction AU in my mind of like, what if like Ron and the Weasleys were not poor and like this class differential of Harry and the Weasleys was flipped? Would that make the story more interesting? I think that the reason that they are the poor ones is is to demonstrate like because what they give Harry that he doesn't have access to is love and so yeah. like because that's what he that's needs. what they are rich and so in. like exactly like they're yeah. poor but they still have the thing that he needs more than anything else um which is very heavy-handed but yes um I don't know I just I ended up thinking about how um harry being like you're a wizard harry also here's a bank vault full of gold it's just so convenient in book one um and that i don't that your parents like, your 21 year old parents, parents earned were, in the right. three years between graduation yes. and their deaths. god um presumably it's because all of the grandparents died and left them all of their wealth in that little gap between them marrying and harry being born anyway very mysterious all that um but I just ended up thinking about, like, Harry doesn't end up using his money very much. Like, the, all of the most expensive items that he receives, two broomsticks and the cloak, are all given to him as gifts. So plot-wise, he doesn't need to have money. Um, and I don't know. And I just thought about what if the Weasleys had been comfortably middle class in the first books, and then at some point Mr. Weasley had lost his job, and then their family had hit on hard times, and then we would have been able to see, like, oh, as Voldemort's coming and, like, people are losing their jobs, it would have been, like, another sign of the world getting, like, darker and scarier. It's like, mm. the Weasleys, who have always been comfortable, are now, like, having to scrape to make ends meet. I don't know. This is fan fiction. We don't need to talk about this too much. I was Where just, like, the whole... get our heavy-handed Catholicism um, allegory? Yeah. It what was just would we do this... without it? Sorry, Jesse, you've been trying to say something yeah, forever. please, you have a very thinky face. No, sorry. I've been trying to think about how I want to say this. I think that if the Weasleys were written as comfortably middle class, then almost every, almost all of the Weasley children's sort of... Uh, I don't want to say, like, character motivation, but a lot of their personalities would have to be tweaked accordingly. Because I mm -hmm. feel like, especially with, like, Ron and the twins, like, I feel like a lot of their personal drive is driven by the fact that they grew up poor. Yeah, that's especially uh, the twins and their sort of entrepreneurial enterprises. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, and Ron has, like, a fuck ton of, like, class anxiety that mm -hmm. I think plays out in really interesting ways in the series and i think that i don't know if it would be a totally character changing thing for him to be to have grown up middle class but i think it would definitely tweak the run that we know in the series yeah. enough that it would it would it would be i think more work than maybe maybe not more work it, it would maybe be more subtle than i think maybe jkr could have <laughs> like effectively done because i feel like the reason why harry is rich is so then you don't so then you can avoid having to be like he doesn't need a job like mm. you know he has like you know he doesn't have to worry about where his, his wand is gonna come from or like he can like you know 
buy the shit that he needs for whatever and that doesn't have to be a plot point of like where's he gonna get money from to do a thing yeah i think also though like the harry having money and ron not having money is also like a an important piece of like the tension in their relationship and like the things that their friendship has to overcome is like that discomfort that ron feels where it's like his family is taking care of harry but harry's still like has so much more money than like his entire family has and that creates like i i think an interesting like relationship dynamic for them that they have to sort of confront over and over again or especially yeah. ron has to confront yeah i think especially a lot in book four mm-hmm. and then i think maybe book four is sort of the peak of it i would say as right. like a kind of yeah hurdle in their really yeah. in their friendship yeah um, yeah, I don't feel like we don't need to discuss this further. I just would uh, put out to uh, listeners, if anyone's read a super good fan fiction where the class differences of Harry and Ron are reversed, feel free to DM me a link. I'm sure someone will. We have very good listeners. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, so my, let's see, the last front page that I'm actually going to talk about, again, is like not something we have to talk about, but just Percy's the only Weasley with glasses because he's a nerd. i've been seeing a lot this like meme circulating about i'm really bad at like famous people names the person who plays the dude in the remake of the ghostbusters Mm. uh oh chris helmsworth there you go he like goes full nerd in new ghostbusters and someone is like he put on glasses like that's the whole difference between him in this and another movie is he put on glasses and so i think that was just like in my mind when i like read the description of percy and his horn rim glasses and i was like oh right because like percy's a nerd so none of the other ones have glasses just him mr weasley but none of the other kids oh my god what if like penelope got into him because she saw him without his glasses and realized what a oh babe percy god. was <laughs> Like in a really cliche teen movie. Oh my god. She's like just had taken them off to clean them, but she happened to look across no, the room wait. at a prefect meeting at just that no, moment. No, back up. In the prefect's bathroom, he had to take them off to wash his face or something. And she like looks up and like water drops with him. And she sees it without his glass and is like, oh damn. He's hiding behind those frames this whole time. Yeah. Yes. I fully support, like, Percy Bottom theory, by the way, which I feel feel like is well-supported here and represented here on this podcast. Fantastic. Yes, we are, <laughs> we are here for yes. Percy and all of his endeavors. Mm-hmm. All right. Are we good? Are we ready to move to the next section? We are. Let's do it. Welcome to our, I think, our first Arts and Leisure section where we're going to talk about about books like the physical books that we're reading yes and specifically Maya is going to talk to you about some cool stuff I have so I uh, asked for the inclusion of this newspaper section because I have some some stories with book three um this is yeah like this is one of my favorite books for a long time and maybe to this day I would say that this is one of my favorite of the series and probably one of the ones I've listened to on audiobook the most but my physical version of the book which came out in 1999 I was in fifth grade I think I was 10 um I believe I just bought it at a local bookstore and then this is like wild JK Rowling was doing a book tour in the United States 
and came to my hometown, (laughs) which is not a big town in the middle of California, Northern California. And she did a book tour stop and she, the venue was a high school gym. Oh my God. I shit you not. It was a high school gym that could seat, I don't know, maybe a thousand people, but I would say less, like a few hundred. And um, it was just like a re- we have a really good local bookstore chain that brings in a lot of authors. They brought in Neil Gaiman and brought in other people. But in October of 1999, I believe the date I have, a, I saved tickets. It was Friday, October 29th. Um, my uh, best friend who had introduced me to the series and her mom were like, let's go. And then uh, my younger sibling, so there were four of us, all went. We dressed up. Um, we got there early. There was a short play before J.K. Rowling came Whoa. on, which was like the high school students of the high school performed like scenes from book two because book three Whoa. had like just come out. Um, and then she came on stage. And from my memory, she read, I want to say a little bit out of chapter of um, book three. I do not remember what chapter, what part it was. And then I think did like a little bit of Q&A. And then... Um, then it was just signings which took up most of the evening and everyone was allowed to have like any person in the line could get one book signed so me and my best friend um i drafted my sibling and she drafted her mom and we so we each were able to get two of our three books that we owned signed we each book picked books one and three because we didn't like book two very much as much (laughs) um well chosen yes um so we had just sit in this long line almost I would say it was mostly um, people under the age of like 14, like 10 to 14 average age with their parents. Um, My sibling and I both dressed up in um, cloaks that my mom had sewed for us. Mine was green wool and my sibling's was is blue linen lined with like white silk. And JK Rowling, as she signed um, my first book being carried with my sibling said, nice cloak. And that was our totality <laughs> of our interaction with her because it was a very long line. Oh um, but we each got our books signed and um, it was just like, I just remember being very exciting. I'm pretty sure it was the first author event I'd ever gone to. Um, so, and it was like, you know, my favorite book. So I was, I was very excited about it, but like, it also didn't seem like to me, looking back, it is wild that JK Rowling came to a high school gym. I just, I just can't even believe it now um, in a certain sense. Um, but at the time I was just like, oh, I'm meeting my favorite author. Like, this is so great. Um, and yeah, so I have two of my books, hardcover first edition books are signed. Um, that's not to say that they are expensive or precious objects because I also, they're beat to shit. <laughs> I read these books so many times. I wrote my name in cartoonishly large colored pencil inside the front cover. I I read them while eating, so there's crumbs on pages. I one one of them I was reading outside in the garden. My cat stepped on a page with a left a muddy footprint on it. Um so I don't they're not the kind of thing like I could sell on eBay for thousands of dollars, but they're very precious to me. Um but then in addition to that, the third book, after it had gotten signed, um, I took it on a school field trip. I believe my class was going to the um, state capitol building in Sacramento. 
and um, I chose it, I carried with me, even as a heavy book, and I had a water bottle in my backpack, and my backpack is waterproof. My water bottle opened in my backpack, and I didn't notice, because it was waterproof enough that none leaked out. So my third book sat in like two inches of water for a whole afternoon. And when I pulled it out, it was like soaking, and I was like, oh no. So of course I put it out in the sun to dry and I like carefully like turned the pages so that like none of them would stick to each other. And it, it did dry out and it's a fairly sturdy book. So like the, pa- the, you know, the pages are like a hefty thickness. So it didn't, it's not, you can still read it, but the whole bottom two inches of the book are like very wiggly and yeah. spotted <laughs> with like water spots. And like, so it's just a very, it's an, it's a loved and abused volume. Um, so anyway, the, the third book just has a lot of special place in my heart because I just have, feel like I have such history with it as like a physical object. That's really, that's really sweet. That's a yeah. great story. Yeah. is a really good story. Yeah. <laughs> the I, reason I remember the date specifically is that I saved a bunch of tickets from the <laughs> event and afterwards everyone was just like turning them in in baskets and I noticed they had um they'd made they'd copied illustrations from the first and second books. It's like the little chapter header illustrations to put on the tickets and I noticed there was like 10 different designs. So I sorted through and I took at least one or two sets of all 10. So I have like a bunch of these tickets that I've saved all these years cuz I'm a, a hoarder of scraps of paper great work that's pretty cool it's really great so yeah Mm -hmm. welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up i'm gonna start by talking about witch burnings Mm. (laughs) um mostly the fact that like this little excerpt that we get about like witches and witch burnings makes it seem I don't know if anyone can find a way to read this in a way that doesn't indicate that witches were just kind of like, LOL, muggles are killing each other because they think they're us. Bye. But that's how I read it. And that's like really bad. And then that seems to be also from what we've seen before, what they used to like rationalize implementing the statute of secrecy, where it was like, you are, they already weren't even catching the right people. And so did you just do this as a way to be like, oh, look, it's not just that we don't care about muggles. It's that we can't care about muggles. Look, they're trying to kill us. I don't like it. Discuss. Yeah, no, it is very fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's like, it's a weird little, like we were laughing about it earlier. And like, as when you're reading it as a children's book, it's fun. It's cute. But yeah, if you read it from like, uh, thinking about, yeah, history or thinking about, uh, yeah, like helping people or like the way, yeah, that wizards rarely step in to protect muggles from atrocities, for example, um, then immediately becomes much, much worse. Yeah. And I think I'm trying to figure out how I want to say this. And it clearly sets a precedence for answering the question about if you think about the Harry Potter universe and like the witching world outside of the UK and you're like, okay, so just witches were just chilling with like all these world wars and like colonialism and slavery was happening. They were just like, whatever, smuggle issue. We don't have to deal with it. And I think this answers the question of like, they're like, nope, we don't have to fucking deal with any of this shit. And it's, horrifying yeah even in a situation where like muggles are being killed for being mistaken yeah as witches 
witches are like well that's just you and like when they catch us we have something that we can do to like not die so no big deal it's also like fairly ahistorical i just actually listened to a very long book on specifically the american um 1692 salem witch situation where they are quick to point out no one was burned like no one was burned during that entire sort of summer of craziness in new england um people were hanged and one person was crushed with stones Uh, but there was no burning and it um, if we think about this passage more in the context of like J.K. Rowling bat- being bad at integrating wizards into history, I actually think this falls right along the line with the very terrible magic in North America Pottermore stories where it's just like, oh, haha, let's just drop some like sort of like white Eurocentric witches into any period of history and not really think about that in the wider context of what was actually happening at that time. So... I think yeah. witches were actually burned during the like witch hunts in the UK, though. Some, From but the not... Wikipedia article okay. I briefly <laughs> looked at earlier today. <laughs> we all know that Wikipedia is a very reputable source. Yeah, it's just... So I owe a lot of a huge intellectual debt to the podcast Witch Please, which I believe you've mentioned before on this podcast. Love it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say a lot of times I have a smart opinion about Harry Potter. It's because actually I heard it on Witch Please, and that smart opinion (laughs) is belongs to either Marcel Cosman or Hannah McGregor, the two hosts of that podcast. Um, And one, um, Hannah appeared recently on Harry and Hazel and Katniss and Star, which is another young adult read podcast. Interesting. and Hannah made the point that in many regards, um, J.K. Rowling is actually a pretty terrible world builder. <laughs> um, and that actually some of the popularity of the Harry Potter series may stem very from the fact that the world is full of holes. And because of that, readers and fans have been, there's so much space to imagine your own histories, your own stories, your own sort of like arcs into it because J.K. Rowling left tons of holes. Um, and definitely, I feel like this uh, little passage here is kind of like, I'd say, is almost like opens more weird questions than it answers anything. It might almost be an example of bad world building instead of good world building. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely I definitely feel that way about anything on Pottermore about U.S. witching society. I'm just like that is wrong you don't know anything about american history and as someone who knows a decent amount about american history i have i have a lot of it mapped up in my brain of how i think it would actually make sense to work out yeah (laughs) and i'm like jkr you're rich enough you could have just hired i know like a story like a a history student would have (sighs) literally clawed their faces off to be able to work for you and be like i've created the u.s witching school like i know there's people there's so many people who would have loved to have consulted on that project and yet and yet and yet yeah yeah so. um but yeah no i back to our original point is yes it is it is very problematic that witches are just like oh people being murdered here's a, a, a place to uh to uh indulge in my kink <laughs> yes yeah and like a reason to be like Oh, what if we implemented, like, an official international reason to not get in the middle of, like, muggle stuff, Mm -hmm. right? But to still fuck muggles. Sure. But not to, to like, do anything else. Right. And it's like, share about, like, (laughs) 
Or you could not do that. Alternately. No, that's not an option. What are you talking about? Um, Rufio's chewing a bone. He hasn't done this on the podcast in quite a while, but I think there's nothing I can do about it, so sorry. (laughs) Okay, so what's next in politics? What do either of you have? I have, I think, a question, which is... Hermione mentions in her letter that she's worried about customs seeing the broom servicing kit. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, didn't the EU exist in like 93 or whenever this book takes place? So she wouldn't actually be, she shouldn't actually be worried about customs going from France to the UK. Did it? I feel like I remember the EU becoming a thing. Which well, the, I would the not EU remember. currency was like that. That was the thing. Like when I was in high school, I remember that being a thing. Like it was like unified currency. But there might have been like some kind of like, I don't know. I I was trying to look at Wikipedia earlier before record to be like, okay, but like when? I feel like that's just like Hermione's a warrior. That's just Hermione being Hermione. Because yeah. like honestly, if a Muggle opened a thing that was like broomstick servicing kit, they'd be like, this is a funny joke item. And, exactly. Like, Loads it up again. Yeah. Or maybe or confiscated was... the, like, scissors and be like, you're not allowed to mail scissors. <laughs> right. Or if it was, like, in her parents' bag, assuming it was a weird sex thing. <laughs> yes. All of the above. Yeah. In in no way was there ever, like, a risk to Hermione mailing no. this to Harry. Moral no. of the story. I just thought it was funny. It is funny. She's a real Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> she likes to know the outcome of a thing before she starts the thing. Um, I know that you mentioned in an earlier episode, so I don't want to go so far into it, but just, yeah, the concept that Bill is working as a curse breaker in Egypt, which is apparently somehow related to the British banking system. I have is a whole so, thing about it. <laughs> so troubling. Um, please, please tell me what you had, because I was, it was just another point. I was like, is he stealing Egyptian treasure for and requisitioning it for the British wizarding government. Is that what's going on here? It's very unclear what's happening. What's going on? I think, yes. I think that, so what I wrote, at least in terms of what's actually happening, what we see in this chapter, the problematic stuff that I noticed is that this, like Ron is talking about like the Egyptian witches as if they're like an extinct species. Yes. And like, this is the issue with when we include people in like natural history, uh, like frameworks, right? It's like, oh, the Egyptians, like pyramids. And that was a very long time ago. And now it's over as if there are no longer presumably like a thriving witch population in Egypt. And this is just like, what, like, what, what, right, what is Bill doing? What did the witches of Egypt have to say about what Bill is doing? Like, what, how do we end up, I know the answer, but like, how do we end up in a place where like, white people in the UK are like, of course it makes sense for like, Bill to have a job breaking into vaults in another country where they're presumably are like people who live in that country that have the rights to whatever is in those vaults you know we do that a lot in the u.s where like by including indigenous peoples in our like natural history museums children grow up thinking that like those are extinct people and it's like no those are real live living people so 
that was pretty much what I honed in on was like how did like where was JK Rowling in the moment where she was writing this where she was like yeah like there's obviously no more people in Egypt right I mean just from the times that I've been in the UK there is so much shit that they have stolen from Egypt in like the UK that they're like this is ours now and it's like but it's not Mm. people still live in Egypt um yeah I think so I actually also my note was just like what do the Egyptian witches think of this white dude um yeah because there is nothing to suggest that Bill is like say interning with a team that is led by an Egyptian wizard and he's just like there is a cultural exchange he's straight up there I presume facilitating the theft of Egyptian wealth yep yeah definitely I think the question another question to ask is if goblins are in charge of like banks and money across the globe and then which is still and I think that it would still bring up sort of the question about like the way that like witches treat goblins mm-hmm. but if current Egyptian wizards also are just like yeah the goblins have like you know handle all this shit for us <laughs> <laughs> Like maybe it's maybe 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 it's like globalized enough where it's like it kind of doesn't matter because the goblins are, are like controlling all this shit anyway. If Gringotts is basically in an international banking company that maybe also has locations in Egypt, and is that sort of like, hmm. yeah. Literally. But can you imagine like witches from Egypt who work for Gringotts coming in and being like, "Well, we're gonna take the sort of Gryffindor." Because that's, like, goblin rot, but also, like, worth a lot. And I don't really understand how any of their, like, banking is based. But, like, we're just going to take, we're going to take this. <laughs> Thanks for, for the well, bank. Well, I mean, Griphook didn't want to take the sort of Gryffindor. So I but think But not for the bank, truth. for the goblins. Like, that's, but e- even so, like, no one was going to be like, yes, take, go ahead. Just take right. that. But it's, like are the goblins in the banks intrinsically linked? Because I still have a sort of gross taste in my mouth that there's some, like, kind of, like, fucked up, like, anti-Semitic shit between the goblins and the banks. And I'm like, oh, hmm. The movies don't help with. And it's just like, oh. But, I mean, if an international bank is a way for the goblins to be in the witching society and have some sort of, like, leverage with, witches that maybe it would make sense that like when grip hook is like we're taking this we want the sort of gryffindor back for the goblins it's just gonna go and it's gonna go in a green god's belt somewhere Hmm. maybe i don't know no i hear you i just mean that like if 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 a witch from another country came in and was like don't worry i'm working for green gods i'm taking your shit your historical items that you like treasure and value because it's for the bank, the people, the, the witches of the UK wouldn't be like, rad, okay, <laughs> take it, that's fine. Take the Sutton Who hoard. Right. Dig around in Stonehenge. <laughs> Anything you find there is property of the bank. Exactly. So it just, I, don't, I just don't think that it would work the other way either, where Bill's just coming in like, it's, it's fine, it's fine. I'm here on behalf of the goblins, it's fine. Um, I'm going to go in the tomb, <laughs> and I'm just going to take whatever I find in there, it's fine. No, it's not. Fair. It's not fine. It's fucked up. Don't do that. I mean, you're 
right. <laughs> look, look, look at the look at the British Museum, which is just full of yeah. It, this things. is kind of just like another little point about how the Wizarding World is kind of still living in Victorian times, in which active colonialism is just like totally par for the course. But it, but it's weird because. Egyptian witch- witches also have magic, so I know. How, like I know how would colonial? I don't like that's. Well, I think that's the problem. Is like that. That's the problem of like st- stepping out from the world. Like it's the problem of what J.K. Rowling is steeped in. That she yeah. wrote this from the point of view of like Egypt is like an empty country full of pyramids and like and sand. And ghosts from 4,000 years ago of people who are smarter than us or maybe aliens, who knows, mm-hmm. right? Instead of, like, it's a country with people who have lived in it consistently since the pyramids were built and before then also, like, but there is just this sort of attitude of, like, no, there's just nothing there now. There's just the history. Just the history being eroded with the Sphinx's nose just blown off into the past. We right. even meet a one egyptian wizard in book four it's the um referee of the quidditch world cup and that is like he is also kind of like a weird stereotypey character it's not not good representation at all and it's like that and like i don't feel like the inclusion of that character helps one wit one iota with sort of these other references to to egypt that we have earlier in the series no but you guys bill didn't have a cool job he does need to have a cool job dragon tooth Earring. He's so cool. He's cool. I mean, those things can be true separate from one another. <laughs> He's also gay, right? He's also. <laughs> Bill, I, how are we? We have a how list. Do we, how do we feel somewhere. about that? I've always. I think we read Bill as bi. Yeah. Because we're not gonna we're not gonna like yeah, discredit his relationship with it. Floor. But we did at some point we had a conversation about. Bill's gender identity mm. that we have, which to... I think we're gonna we're gonna cover once we actually yeah, meet him in his like yeah, yeah, yeah. flowing long let's, red let's hair and his mother's antagonism to... about his flowing long yeah, hair. His, his... and his and his earring yeah. and how he's performing masculinity wrong gender, yes. <laughs> or so so right depending hmm <laughs> <laughs> The appropriateness of the performance of masculinity is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> Love that. I feel like I have a... I don't know. I have a political point. Kind. It is a political point, but I just want to say that I'm glad the Weasleys took this, like, money boon and were just like, we're going on a fucking vacation. Fuck y'all. <laughs> like... And I feel like those are the sort of financial choices that like people who don't who haven't grown up poor or who aren't poor are like you should have saved that money blah 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 and it's like no like they went on a month-long vacation to egypt like that sounds fucking rad mm-hmm. good for them i guess that was maybe less of a rant but no i think i think that the political point that lays underneath that is like the persistence of middle class people like judging and criticizing how people who have less money than them choose to use their money quote-unquote choose to use their money and like the things that they like deem luxuries versus not luxuries when they aren't actually in the position of having to like yeah i mean poor people deserve 
pleasure and vacations and treats and what yep. have you. And it's like, I don't know. It's the same people who are like, I don't know. Whenever people are like, we should put limits on what you can buy with like food stamps. Yep. And it's like, let people buy fucking box cake mix and like fancy cheese and like mm. fucking pop. Like sometimes you want to just have a fucking birthday party and you have, and you're on food stamps and you want to fucking buy a cake and some fancy cheese or whatever. Like let people fucking live. Yes. You know? Yeah. So. Let people live. <laughs> <sighs> so anyway, I'm just glad that this is what the Weasleys did. Imperialism aside. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm glad that they're making a t- priceless memory with all of their children together. You know what I mean? And they're all like, they're doing something with their kids. If I don't know if they've had very many or any other international vacations, probably maybe they don't see the older ones as much since they're moved out of the house. They go during decision. Christmas to visit the older kids. Cause we've yeah. talked a lot about like, why do they leave their kids at Hogwarts and go to Romania? But then we decided last book that, uh, Arthur has the Christmas like time off of work anyway so he wouldn't mm. actually have to like take unpaid vacation mm. to go visit Charlie at that time which is why they choose to not hang out with their kids the like one week a year that they get to that's not summer <laughs> which makes sense also we're pretty sure that the witching world that the ministry does not have PTO because it's a the ministry is so broken <laughs> But also, like, vacations in the UK are, like, a whole different thing than here in America. Like, I I am baffled every time I learn about, like, the length of European vacations and what's, like, a normal amount to take off in a summer. It's just wild. I know. If I could take all of August off, I would be a, a new person, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not a run-down nub of a person <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> oh, my God. We can we can cut that out. Sorry, I have a kind of stressful job. But no, I'm, anyway, I'm leaving it in. It'll help people feel more incentivized to give us money for making this podcast. <laughs> I uh, every time I watch um, any Queer Eye episode, I think about how literally any human being, given like one week off of work and five of their adults' help and a little bit of money could just make a just a huge amount of changes in their life you know what i mean i'm just like just one week off to think about yourself like a haircut few new outfits and just like five people helping you a little including just like clearing off those piles that you haven't got to for a really long time amazing we could all use that we sure could buying buying you all new furniture like furniture's not cheap no but even if you didn't get any of that even if it was just like five people being like do you need help with something yeah yeah yep yep it's very true i know i could use that would that would just be great welcome to editorials where we rant about stuff it sounds like we all want to rant about pens (laughs) (laughs) so yeah someone take it away let's talk about fucking pens It's wild to me that Hogwarts students never try to sneak in any muggle items. Never in the books do we see anyone trying to bring in, like, anything. And if they were going to... The first... My first choice would be stationery. Were I a student at Hogwarts, you know, I'd be bringing, like, notebooks. I'd be bringing jelly rolls. This is the 90s. Like, Lisa Frank stickers. Like, oh my god. I would be bringing all of that stuff. Yeah. 
Imagine a scene where someone catches like someone hiding under like a stairwell playing a Game Boy. Just oh like my God. trading Love. Pokemon, like <laughs> just hiding. Yeah. I feel like when I think about that, I feel like there must be like a group of muggle students that like do meet like in a room and they're just like Yes, let's trade like Lisa Frank stickers and like issues of like Nintendo power and like talk about movies hogwarts anime club right and i and i just think that like harry probably just isn't invited and maybe wouldn't be super interested and i feel like hermione also just probably isn't invited even though it's weird to me that she does not try to like incorporate more muggle stuff into the witching world like i feel like her sort of complete assimilation is still a little bit like but Hermione, like, glitter pens. Like, yeah. come on. Daily planner. I mean, she buys planners. They're magical ones. Yeah, Harry, it makes sense because he doesn't enjoy the muggle world. It's not been kind to him. So I can see his total rejection of it. Ron didn't mm. grow up with muggle stuff. I mean, there was muggle clothes at home. But, like, um, but like, yeah, there's someone, someone who grew up in a muggle household. Like, surely, I mean, like, the only thing that we see is... Like, um, is it uh, Dean Thomas's Muggle Soccer poster? I think yeah. is the only item ever mentioned as, like, a specifically Muggle keepsake type item that someone brings in. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes me think there probably is, like, a, like a Muggle, like, soccer, like, pickup game that, oh. the, like, other Muggle kids do. And just, like, because... And they play it, just... it on the ground in the Quidditch pitch. <laughs> and no one is plumbing to the ground or you know anything more dangerous than the dangers of regular soccer which is breaking bones but then they're just fixed in a second yeah. i don't know my kingdom to have seen like right the muggle student union of like <laughs> we all don't, don't have to accept fucking quills <laughs> Um, I, you guys don't usually do recommendations for other media, but I would like to recommend a book called In Other Lands by Sarah Reese Brennan here to your listeners as a really wonderful fantasy book that has canon queer characters. And it's about a kid, um, Elliot, going to a magic school in a for Narnia-esque land. And every summer he does go home and every summer he attempts to smuggle in more ambitious items. So he starts with jeans and sneakers and Sharpies and all of those make it across. But then he gets ambitious and he tries to bring over like a microwave (laughs) and like (laughs) um, a smartphone and stuff. Um, And it turns out that um, technology things kind of explode on crossing the magical border. So... Um, his best friend ends up waiting for him every summer at the magical border. His friend who was born in the Narnia-esque land with basically like a bucket of water to put out <laughs> the fire of his backpack after whatever he's brought in explodes. <laughs> um, and oh, it's really wonderful how he is. The author's clearly playing with the same idea of like bringing, yeah, muggle items into a magical world. And there's this beautiful interaction where Elliot asks his best friend who, like Ron, grew up fully in the magic world. He makes some joke about computers and his friend laughs and he goes, why did you laugh? You don't know what computers are. And his friend's like, I do. And he's like, what's a computer? And he go- the friend goes like, it's got Wikipedia in it. <laughs> like okay fine you pass (laughs) that's literally two-thirds of the interactions that i have with my partner (laughs) 
we've tried implementing a rule where like when I say something and he doesn't get it, he has to tell me that he didn't Instead get it. Instead of just laughing and yeah. pretending. <laughs> but most of the time I'm like, do you know what I just said? And he's like, no, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> I grew up raised by wolves. I know nothing. And then when he does know it, I'm like, you laughed like you actually understood what I said. Have you seen Phil in movie that was released in the 90s? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, I have to go lay down for a while. I don't understand what's <laughs> happening to my world. Uh, that's amazing. Also, I got to read this book uh, immediately because that's, that sounds like exactly my jam. Yeah, totally. It's really good. It sounds yeah, incredible. it's a standalone, highly recommend, super great. It's about a character, yeah, who doesn't want to fight, so he tries to bring peace to the magic lands through diplomacy and blackmail. <laughs> Perfect. We do, um, one of our Patreon specials is called Editor's Cut, where we, like, expand upon digressions from the mm. episodes, and uh, if Jesse and I both read those and love them, we might have to loop you back for yes. an Editor's Cut. Oh, on, gee. Please, on please, please, yes. That'd be super rad. All right. What's our next editorial? Is it, is it your Chekhov guns or was that another section? I mean, we can definitely talk about that. Okay. I don't have anything else specific. All right. So, I mean, this maybe goes in editorial, but I guess it's more of... Anyway. All right. So, Chekhov's gun is a very common storytelling trope where uh, originating from theater in which if you put a gun in oh. scene one, you like you use it in by scene three. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you don't. There's no erroneous detail. Like it's like you end up using it. Uh, Harry Potter is full of this shit because either intentionally or JKR is like, oh, I have that thing, man. Let me make this super relevant. Like four books from now. Um, and the biggest one in this chapter is the photo of the Weasleys in Egypt, which arguably sets the entire course of this plot rolling because this is the photo that Sirius sees and is like fuck that fucker Peter Pettigrew he's still alive I gotta go fucking murder him yeah mm-hmm. uh, and like and there's a bunch of little like hints where there's like oh he you know Black was muttering he's at Hogwarts and he's like yeah he's talking about Peter Pettigrew and like how did you how did no one know this rat was alive for 13 years and it's like rats live for two and a half like two years tops y'all like uh, anyway, so, also, you know, uh, minorly, the sneak scope, which Ron is like, it doesn't work, and it's like, JK totally works, because Peter again. Yeah. And then also, <laughs> which maybe could be a segue into education, the monster book of monsters, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which becomes Harry's textbook later this in just a few chapters. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is the first book where it's like, you're like, oh shit, this tiny ass detail mm. became so important later, and to the point, where, and like she, and she does it a lot to varying degrees of like really masterfully to kind of like, okay, girl, whatever. But I think as like, as a reader, it's always fun to be like, what's, like, what details are you paying attention to? Like, what's gonna come up next is like a secretly important thing that is like a throwaway line or like an extra detail or you're just like oh yeah of course Ron brought his rat to his pet rat to on vacation like whatevs yep. and then it's like oh wait <laughs> yeah now that the books are actually good we get to start <laughs> yeah I mean yeah and like that, right and I feel like that maybe 
Yeah, and so like this happens throughout the series, and it's like starting to kind of like where it, this series builds momentum, where it's like building on itself, and all of these pieces start to kind of like come together. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, there's a lot of this in book two, which is arguably, in my opinion, the weakest of this series. But there's a lot of things in there that become super important. Yes. Later. Yeah, that's the one of the pleasures of rereading is to catch all of those things. I mean, that's a huge reason why I've read the book so many times is it's so much fun to to catch every single one of those little hints as you go along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. And it's like it's interesting for me because like I don't I don't really like mystery mm. books. I feel like I've never I feel like a lot of times I'm just kind of like this isn't interesting enough for me and like even like the Sherlock Holmes novels, I'm kind of like, okay, this is kind of boring. I don't actually care. But I feel like the the mysteries in Harry Potter, I think, are really well done. <laughs> and I'm just like, yes, this is great. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what I want in my mystery where it's really just fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, this is a fun, this is a fun opening chapter for, for that, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked in the tarot episode that's going to come out next week from when we are currently recording this about basically hypothesized that perhaps the reason that book two is as weak as it is, is that once she got signed for a series, she storyboarded the series and was Mm. like, here's a bunch of things that I'm going to need to set up to make sure that the series works and then tried to orchestrate a plot around a bunch of individual points that she would need to be able to draw from later Mm. and then turned those points into book two. Hmm. So it was like, okay, I need to like establish like the Horcrux and the soul link with Harry and like the parcel mouth thing and you know harry's self-doubt and whatever all these disparate things that sort of don't have something to join them i need all of those for book seven to do what i want book seven to do how do i turn this group of things into a book and then you end up with a book with the plot of swiss cheese which is our overall assessment of book two um so that book seven will work and i We have no way of knowing if that's true, but yeah. it, it kind of makes sense. Like, I feel like I've convinced myself that that oh, yeah. is what has happened because as soon as we get here, right, immediately all of these things are like, there's like some groundwork laid and also, you know, we everything's going to work in the books that move forward and things start becoming like much more seamless. And like the, the plotting and the mystery is so much... It's so much tighter and better crafted in this book than in book two. Mm-hmm. Like, like I feel like it is genuinely shocking when you get to the chapter with like Sirius and Lupin and like Pettigrew, and you're like, "Wait, what? What the fuck? What? Mm-hmm. What? What?" And it's just, and I and I feel like for me, it's like reading it the, for the first time. It's just like it is literally, it's almost a physical shock where you're just like, "What just happened?" Yeah, you know. And then the time travel part, which is like, again, like that's a a hard sort of thing to plot where it makes sense. Um, and it still works. Totally. And yeah. you're like, I mean, I, I'm assuming so. I guess I haven't read, read book three in a while, so we'll see <laughs> on our reread. But yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that you're, 
you're right. And we, like, we had that, we had a listener write in and be like, you guys are, like, really attacking these plot holes. And I was like, yes. And as soon as we finish this book, there won't be nearly so many for us to attack like this anymore. So don't fret. Like, it's going to calm down any second now. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that that's true. I mean, maybe we'll read this and find that it's not true. But I, I, th- I think that it is the case that there's just, like, so much less to... I think the only big one is the fact that they, in this book they use time travel heavily and then they never use it again as a solution to any future problems. Um, but if you kind of set that aside, I think the like the especially the time travel use internally just within this book is very consistent and very solid. Well, they very conveniently mm-hmm. smash all of the time turners in book five so that no one can yes. ever use time turners again to solve anything. Yeah, because I think they're think... impossible to make. And I think I think you kind of have to in order to make stuff in the later books make sense and yes. have weight. If you could just be like, you're a witch, just fucking use time travel. Maybe it takes like a thousand years for each time turner to grow from one grain of sand. Oh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, the Monster Book of Monsters. You guys, just sell it with something around it and a warning on it that says like read before opening but also why does it do that because it's like there's no cute look hagrid (laughs) is not the only person like her in this world there is at least one other person with the same way of experiencing the world who also is a publisher and was like (laughs) wouldn't that be cute and then published a thing but one more step, right? Sell it with a built-in, right? Where the belt buckle is attached to the covers of the books and it comes closed with like a big warning page with a how-to, right? So simple. And yet... That's a that's a too much like a right for the witching world. I know. <laughs> it just makes me so upset. And I, you know... If we were just looking at this chapter, it'd be like, oh, well, like, Hagrid just took that off because, like, she assumes that Harry knows how to tame the book. But, like, when we meet the books in a few couple chapters, it's like, no, that's actually... Even the fucking bookstore can't think to put a belt around each book before selling it because... Nope. No one knows how to logic in this world. I mean, yeah. No, they... No one... No one does. But it's also like you have magic. Just magic the book closed or something. Too easy. Too simple. (laughs) Yeah. No, you just have to get really mad and wear big gloves and yell about it. That's what the bookshop person, how how they handle it, I think. I mean, listen, that, I guess I don't want to say like minimum wage worker, but that minimum wage worker does not make enough to deal with that shit. I feel like that person is the person who owns the bookstore. That's fair. But then, like, you'd think they'd be experiencing, like... No, look, I know we're not there yet, but, like, in the same line when they're talking about that, they talk about how they ordered invisible books of invisibility that they never found. Like, this person just is, like, a quintessential witch who does not know what logic is. It's like, you got ripped off. <laughs> Don't order the invisible book of invisibility. Like, you know who sold you that, Mundungus Fletcher? I want to say- what a good, what a good <laughs> scam! Um, we're giving you a case of these books about invisibility. They're invisible. 
<laughs> also feather light. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I left it in front of the shop this morning. Did you? Some, I don't know. I definitely delivered it. <laughs> I want to say it came in a, in a box and the box was just empty. <laughs> oh yeah someone must have taken them i don't know it would be so easy i mean i think lockhart proves it's easy to scam witches oh yeah i mundungus honestly i think is like a better example though like that story about how he steals someone's toads and then sells them back to him the same day like and i i don't think that was like that guy was super gullible it's like this is just this is the world that we're in yeah. it's just everybody is well, yeah, I mean, if you have someone who's just, like, doing it so poorly as Lockhart and getting away with it, someone who has, like, a moderate amount of skill, like Mundungus, is, like, basically, like, a criminal genius. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, Mundungus Fletcher could totally be, like, Lex Luthor instead of a petty thief if he wanted to be. I think he just enjoys doing things like stealing someone's toads and then selling them back to him. Yeah, he wants it to be personal. He's petty. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Petty in two ways, both in the legal definition and in the emotional definition. Anyway, okay. Welcome to the health and science section, where we talk about things that are loosely related to health and or science. Today, owls. How did Hedwig find Hermione? How does any owl ever find the person that the letter it's carrying is for? Owls have secret tracking devices, question mark. Owls are telepathic. Owls are GPSs. Does this belong in your NSA section? It might. We have suggested all of these things over the course of the podcast and not landed upon an answer. I think this is one of the things where we will be still speculating in book seven. Only in book seven we'll be speculating and crying about Hedwig at the same time. No. It's, it's still too soon, honestly. It is. But don't remember, we have something already for, for her death in book seven we where should, I fixed it. We so sure do. Fine. Um, maybe... Maybe Hedwig just asked a bunch of owls. Mm. Or maybe she asked the school owl. Because she's if Hermione's in France, she's getting that exact same letter mm. in France. But how does the school owl know? NSA. Hogwarts tracks its students for sure. They sure do. <sighs> Tears. <laughs> yeah, they sure do. Yeah. I, so I think that there's psych- psychic tracking devices. Yeah. That's... Yeah gotta gotta be the answer right something like that yeah some very complex psychic gps tracking but like but... maybe you can block because why wouldn't they just like let's just send serious black a letter with an owl and we'll find exactly it. <laughs> exactly because if harry can just be like take this letter to snuffles wink wink you know i mean serious then like why can't the ministry be like, take this letter to Sirius Black. And just like, follow the owl. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, man, so many questions. I mean, maybe the owls are really ethical, and it's like the owls have control of the tracking system, and they don't share it. And like, Because the owls in these books are so intelligent. Hedwig routinely 
understands human speech. I mean, clearly, like right. she understands when Harry uh, forgive, like um, ask for her forgiveness for various things, or gives her excuses, or um, just all kinds of things. She like will you know like nibble on his ear to uh, comfort him when he because so she's understanding human emotions. Like these owls are very smart. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying is that uh, Hedwig is the owls are um, anti-prison. <laughs> yes. And anti-cop. And I'm here for this. Yeah. And they have a magic of maybe an equal level to house elves, possibly. Um, and they are not enslaved to humans, but instead have chosen to partner with humans. Though it is unclear how they benefit from it other than owl treats. And they get to read everyone's mail. Yeah. Maybe owls are just big gossips. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think they're clearly communicating with one another. Yeah. Um, right. They have friendships with each other and also rivalries. Like, yeah. Because how else, right, how else did the Hogwarts owl and Hedwig find Errol, like, struggling from fucking Africa to yes. get to Harry? God. This old ass owl who needs to be retired. And then both like prop one wing under him. So they're each flying with one wing only? Question mark? Presumably. Um, it's a lot of coordination. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It sure is. Um, anyone who's listening who hasn't seen the comic that Theo made, the free Errol comic, where Errol is like at a retired owl like beachside resort you should go look at it because it's great so um maybe we'll remember to repost it on our socials when this comes out i'm making a note jesse's gonna put it on our calendar because we're responsible human beings who run things like responsible adults (laughs) it's a lie don't believe us Yeah, I'm really just like four woodland creatures in a trench coat, so. (coughs) Accurate. Welcome to the education section where we talk about this goddamn school. Um, I firmly believe that Harry has a valid excuse to not do his fucking homework because of the seriously abusive environment he's in. So fuck everyone for being like, all right, Harry, well, uh, have fun with that with your schoolwork. And you're like anti magic household for like three months. Yep. Also, my one education point: <laughs> summer it... homework is anti muggle born, mm. and also just shitty. Like, one, don't do that to kids. Period. But like, in a world like this, where like two thirds of your kids have access to like parents who know what their homework is mm. about, and like houses with other books, and like maybe a library, and the rest of the kids have none of that summer homework is like incredibly fucked yeah don't don't do that very unfair i mean honestly at that point it would make sense for hogwarts to only have like a three-week summer vacation and to just have the kids be in school for most of the year which they're already in school for 10 months which is so long i don't know i feel like school i feel like elementary school kids get out like the end of june which i feel like is such a long time i'm like how did we survive (laughs) so long to be in a school yeah they hogwarts ends at the end of june and they start at september 1st so they're off for two months of the summer 
Two months is like not enough time to be a child and like yeah. run outside and play, yeah. especially because Hogwarts is so like regimented. They have so much homework for even at 11. Yeah. Like, I'm just mad that they have homework at all, even if it wasn't like creating a dramatically unfair disparity between Muggleborns and mm-hmm. Witchborn students. Like, just let these children catch fireflies. Yeah. Do they have fireflies in the UK? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I would have literally, I mean, I was a child who had a hard time doing homework, period, because of my ADHD, and so summer homework would have just never fucking happened. I would have read all the books and been like, fuck this essay. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Welcome to Advertisements, (laughs) where we ask you for money and then make you laugh. I wrote... I wrote a new Ask for Money because it's a new book. I don't know if it's better or not. My brain isn't super working today, so we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Subject. Whoops, I did it again. Us, two exuberant queer nerds with a penchant for biting off more than we can chew and committing to unsustainable projects. (laughs) You, someone who loves what we are putting out into the world and wants to help make our projects sustainable. Support us on Patreon for tons of incredible bonus content, or make a one-time donation through our website. And now we're going to talk about our October Patreon push, because mm. we're doing a special. So Theo, our comic artist, has very kindly agreed to make for the first seven people who sign up at the $25 level and the first 21 people who sign up at the $10 level a custom portrait different styles of portrait for each level. They're both very beautiful. Obviously, the $25 level, full color. It's like against the Gailey Prophet background, the same as the bio picture that he made of me and Jesse. The $10 is more of a, a line drawing, but it's like the first seven people, the first 21 people, and then they're gone. So now is your moment. I think these are probably going to go pretty quickly. October is the witchiest gothest month, so you know that we are in our element truly Mm -hmm. so uh consider helping us out for the price of one cheesy halloween decoration from target you can uh help this podcast become more sustainable yes (laughs) deeply appreciate it (laughs) we will love you literally forever also true and that's priceless (laughs) yeah Yes, I was going to make a like like the Weasleys joke, but actually we'll love you way better than Molly Weasley would ever, ever love you. So there will be be zero yelling involved. Hmm. It's true. Only compassionate support for all of your endeavors, no matter how ridiculous, because who are we to judge? Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right. Great. Um, Next. Subject, logic for hire. I'm a logical person available for consultation on a wide array of subjects. If you need to think logically about something, I'm your guy. (laughs) For instance, should you sell a biting book that doesn't come with restraints and instructions? Does it make sense to publish the exact details of someone's vacation plans in the newspaper so that everyone knows when their house will be empty? Exactly what type of school activities should require a permission slip? If you've ever grappled with questions like these and just wished you could apply logic to the issue, send me an owl. Oh my god, why doesn't Quidditch require a permission slip? 
I don't know, why does Hogsmeade require a permission <laughs> slip? Because you're less supervised? I So when I, like, the Hogsmeade permission slip shows up, right? But, like, right, you don't need one for Quidditch. You don't need one to, for instance, participate in the Triwizard Tournament. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, there's, like, there's a lot of things that you don't need a permission slip for that makes it just sort of really wild that you don't need one to go like that you do need one to go to Hogsmeade rather so I mean you need a permission slip so you're not buying weird animals from uh, the people from the Hogshead until you're at least 13 (laughs) (laughs) the only thing the only logic I can come up with this is that Going to Hogsmeade is the only one of those activities that involves leaving school grounds. Um, so, like, the Triwizard Tournament, way more dangerous, but you're always on Hogwarts grounds. So they're like, even if you are one inch from death, we can resurrect you in the hospital wing. But that's not a good reason. No, because you, I think in, in like, at least in American schools, like, even sex ed requires a permission oh, yeah. slip, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I think using dangerous chemicals in chemistry class requires a permission slip. Like, there's a lot of things that you have to get parental consent for. So it's like, yeah, also a field trip, but, like, also all these other things that are, like, could be considered iffy. I don't think sex ed should be on that list, but not the point. Taking care Um, of magical creatures? Maybe, yes. Exactly. Yeah. You should definitely need a permission slip before you meet a hippogriff. Yep. Right? Yep. Because then Malfoy can't try to sue the school yeah. because his dad signed a permission yep. slip. That's what they're for. Yep. So And then we don't ever see we still don't see permission slips used for care medical creatures. So literally no one learned anything about No. <laughs> the moral of the story is that Hogwarts should hire me to yes. consult. <laughs> I can definitely help them with their PR issues. I mean, as the only game in town, it's sort of like... That's true. <laughs> they have they a lot of... Care. They can. They don't have to give a fuck. It's like, where are you your kids? Dermstrack. Oh. Right. All right. All right. Thank you for listening to The Gaily Prophet. Maya, where can the people find you? Ah, people can find me on Tumblr and Instagram at redgoldsparks. Or you can look at my website, which is redgoldsparkspress.com. I have a lot of short comics, including like a 20-page sample of my graphic novel, Genderqueer, a memoir, um, on my website. And uh, yeah, just uh, say hi on the internet. Uh, the Gaily Prophet is produced, mixed, and edited by me, Lark Malachi Gray. And you can support us in a number of ways that Jesse is going to tell you about now. All right. Starting from the easiest thing you can do and freest thing is tell everyone you know about how cool our podcast is and then make and then take their phone and subscribe to it on their phone so they don't forget um you can also leave us a five-star review on itunes stitcher i'm assuming spotify wherever you listen to us you can also like us on social media we are on twitter facebook and instagram for your scrolling pleasure (laughs) um at the gaily prophet you can also if you have some extra cash, uh, buy some more merch. We have very cute merch. Um, you can make a one-time donation in which you will also receive some cute merch. 
And then if you want to continue to receive cool things from us and see even more things that we are doing, you can become a patron on Patreon, also at patreon.com slash Prophet. Uh, we've talked about all the cool stuff you get. It is super rad. And we do a lot. So please give us money. <laughs> we do too much. <laughs> Moral of the story. Um, also, just it's October now as of the date that this is coming out, which means that if you don't already have a queer IRL witch pin or sticker or magnet, this is the moment to get one. Halloween and people will be like oh you're joking but you're not joking but you'll know that and they won't know that so it'll feel like great like an inside joke with yourself and us and we'll like it even if we're not there so go buy queer IRL which merch at thegaylyprofit.com if you want to find me in between episodes you can find me on my website which is larkmalakai.com that's l-a-r-k-m-a-l-a-k-a-i.com where you can procure my services such as getting a tarot reading from me because I like giving tarot readings and you know we just did a tarot episode so you should probably hit me up for that you also follow me on instagram at lark malachi or at radical healer um and you can find me on twitter at jesse underscore detroit and on instagram at live from detroit um Look at the funny things that I post. It's pretty entertaining. Follow Jesse on Twitter, everyone. Jesse's good at Twitter. I don't know. I'm not on Twitter, so I don't totally know what it means to be good at Twitter, but like, I'm pretty sure Jesse is really good at Twitter. Uh, I retweet a lot of quality things. Um, yeah. From like 30 thread history tweets that you didn't of things you didn't know about to animal pictures to making fun of our garbage fire world and the many things that are in it because you just need that level of humor in between all the terrible things to really take it in yeah um yeah so our um music is all the music in this episode is from kevin mcleod <laughs> our uh spoiler warning is by the fabulous sarah Saura, and our logo and all of the comics and the amazing drawing of me and Lark in our Hogwarts robes is by the amazingly talented Theo Julian Forrester. And the drawing of you that you're about to get, dear listener, by signing up for our Patreon during the month of October. Hell yeah. Perfect time to change your uh, Facebook and Instagram user photo to a, a drawing of you in the Hogwarts uniform of your choice. <laughs> Until next time. Crab walk. Night owl. Chekhov's gun. Phone etiquette. You're just so good at that. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Gaily Prophet, a podcast or two queer. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Gaily Prophet, a podcast. No. I'm going to get it right, Jesse, one of these times. I believe in you. I'm going to do it.